All right, let's do this. Hi, I'm Louis Theroux. Welcome to my podcast. Sorry, I shouted. Called the Louis Theroux Podcast. How original. So today I'm here to talk to Belle Delphine, an internet legend. I don't think that's too strong a term. Even if you haven't heard of her before, and many of you will have, please be assured she is an icon of early internet culture. Well, early. I mean, internet culture more generally. Certainly of Web 2.0, the moment when YouTube sat up and roared and said, we are incubating the talent now. We are the destination for creators to influence culture, where your children will be flocking to learn their catchphrases and to find their new gurus. Belle is an online prankster, e-girl. Her real name is Maribel Kirshner. Belle Delphine is her nom de internet. She's 24, but she's been around for at least four or five years. She went viral for her ahigao face, that's spelled A-H-E-G-A-O, a sexual facial expression used in Japanese porn, known as hentai, and then began a stint making strange YouTube videos that captured the world's attention. Sticking googly eyes on a dead octopus was one, eating photographs of her followers. Yes, you heard me correctly. I think we talk about her various viral hits during the conversation, so I'll explain more during the chat. But she just seemed to have a kind of genius for understanding the internet for speaking its lingua franca and knowing what would go viral. Like, And I don't just mean mini viral, just tens of millions of shares. She's now an OnlyFans star, having traded in her YouTube virality for the more cloistered confines of OnlyFans. I think you know what that is. Subscription-only platform, largely driven by adult content, and where many of the biggest stars of porn now do their work, including Mia Malkova, who I interviewed for a TV episode of my series, Forbidden America. And in fact, Mia has done a sex scene with Belle. So synergy alert. She really doesn't do many interviews. So it was kind of a bit of a coup, if I can say that, getting her as a guest. And she's deliberately kept a kind of veil of mystique over her personality. At times she's done a a few podcast chats, but it's always been at a moment when she was looking to make a strategic move online and needed to leverage some visibility. And this is slightly different. She's, uh, I guess, maybe something of a fan of this podcast or of maybe TV shows I've made. So she wanted to come on. So I'm grateful for that. This one was recorded in person in London. She arrived from Brighton with her other half slash manager slash partner, uh, I seem like a nice young man. I think they've been together a few years, and I believe all her scenes that she does with male talent, she does with him. He is her exclusive um, online adult content penis provider, to use the technical term. Warnings. Well, this has come too late. Adult content, obviously. Discussions of a sexual nature, boomer content throughout. That's a joke. I'm a boomer. You know, it was a difficult one because I was sort of trying to straddle. Stop it. I was trying to straddle the two worlds of kind of a younger skewing internet audience and then an older skewing clueless boomer audience. So if I seem stretched uncomfortably at times that's what's going on but I really did want to do justice to what I regard as kind of a really interesting cultural area and something that's kind of fun and provocative and and different and that says something about where culture is at so all of that and much much more coming up This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. 
Hello. How do you do? How do I do? I do quite good. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you too. <laughs> I can't believe you're here in the flesh. And uh, are we good? We're, so we're rolling. Everything's... Should I put these on? I think it's up to you. Have you just come up from... Am I allowed? I don't want to be indiscreet, but it's obviously I've read, it's been published that you live in yeah. Hove. Is that, is that? Uh, I say Brighton, but I live outside Brighton. Okay. Yeah. But that's fine to say that because I know security can be an issue for you and um, you don't want any more security concerns than you already have. Yeah. So we, we'll try not to um, give too much away. Okay. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I feel like it might be a while since you've, done an interview is it yes um so i did a couple of interviews when i first did porn mm -hmm. um because i with my work i think podcasts are quite not the best thing to do mm -hmm. i feel like it takes away from the alert mm -hmm. but i couldn't say no to uh this podcast in oh, particular well, that's so. very kind <laughs> i'm going to assume that's because you thought it was a, a an attractive offer like you, it was something that you were happy to do because you felt well, i had a few bucket list things that i mm -hmm. want to do on my quest on the internet and this was would definitely be one of oh, them i appreciate that yeah i mean where do we start can i big you up a bit is that all right? Oh, God. <laughs> well, because I think, you, you, you know, you're an exciting guest for me because as a bit of a boomer, uh, I'm not always aware of everything that's happening online. Yeah. And so for me, I always regard it as a privilege to be taken into the world of YouTube and influencers. It's a strange world. Because it's so strange and it feels new. And I, as much as it sounds a bit cringe to say it, I, I, I see a sort of, I don't know if it's anarchic or, or disruptive or kind of maverick ethos certainly going back a few years where mm. it just felt like culture exploded on the internet and kids were feeling like, this is ours, this belongs to us. And you had big stars emerging, KSI, PewDiePie, and your good self. I remember when uh, I first became aware of you, like a lot of people, it was 2019 when you were selling your bathwater. Yes. And then in digging into this, I've been conscious that you have a track record of kind of hits where you have you just did provocative pranks or publicity stunts, whatever you want to call them. You've got a huge following based on that. Should we talk about, I mean, I feel like that was the longest run up to a question in the history of <laughs> podcast recording. Oh, it was great. We can start anywhere you want, but I'd be curious to know how you first came in 2019 to the world's attention. Uh, so I think for me, a real pivotal part of my journey was when I was 14. I was just posting on Facebook. That was the only thing I was posting on. And that's when my obsession with the internet really started. Mm -hmm. And I was always really interested in Japanese fashion. So I'd post fashion pictures like this. So there was always a very strong connection to the internet there for me. And then for other reasons that came about, for example, I dropped out of school very young. So that really pushed me even further into being almost, well, actually, yes, very obsessional with the internet. And you mentioned Japanese culture. I mean, you'd already evolved this online persona that involved what's called kawaii. Yeah, kawaii basically just means cute. Mm -hmm. So anything sweet looking or colorful, kind of what you imagine when you think of Harajuku, Japan, that sort of type mm -hmm. of aesthetic, very bubbly. Did you say Harajuku, Japan? Yeah, it's a place in Japan that kind of started the huge wave of alternative fashion in Japan. And that's what I've always been kind of interested in. I've always been drawn to cute things and fluffy things. And it never really stopped for me as I grew older. It probably just intensified. Mm. I mean, to some extent, it's a mystery why Japan should be so interested in that aesthetic, right? I don't know what... I think it's because of how intense their business uh, and work-life balance is. I mean, they work all day and even when they're not working, they go out drinking with their bosses. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's a rebellion of the youth there just wanting to express themselves. That's interesting. You have no Japanese heritage. No. Right? Have you been to Japan? Not yet. But you like to. I've been to South Korea. There you go. Um, so you were saying, so then... We went off on a tangent. We've, I think we've established... We went on a full circle there. With what, ka what kawaii <laughs> is. When you say the internet, what were your grazing grounds? YouTube, Facebook, 
I never owned a phone, so I didn't really have Instagram, but I would spend about 12 to 15 hours a day on the internet every single day. So that was a It gave me a lot of insight about how the internet worked. 12 to 15 hours a day, did you say? Yeah. Right, which is, I think, not recommended. (laughs) Your your dad wasn't around. We can talk about that in a minute. Uh, Was your mum kind of not policing your screen time at all? This is Louis and dad mode, so (laughs) apologies for that. But I've got kids who do a lot of internet stuff. Your mum wasn't worried about how long you were online? Surprisingly not, no. And I've had conversations with her since becoming an adult because... I recognize looking back some of the things that maybe I was doing on the internet or how long I was on the internet or I think she found it quite difficult because she came from a very conservative family Mm -hmm. and she was the rebellious child from that family. She's English. Yes, she's English. So she, I guess, wanted to be that carefree person and she was and I thought that was really awesome, really cool, but I think maybe a little bit too much leniency. Mm -hmm. I probably took that a little bit too far and um, I think if I didn't get into... What I am into now, I have no idea where I'd be in life. So in some ways, I'm very fortunate because I have no idea where I'd be. (laughs) So Yeah, yeah. I get it. And you were born in 99. So you've really, for as long as you can remember, YouTube's been a thing, would you say? Kind of, yeah. So ever since I got my own laptop, it's been kind of up and running with uh, content coming out in it every day. So I feel like a first-generation, real internet-type person. Describe how how did you come to the world's attention? I think I really blew up when I changed my content to become sexual. And it's pretty much as soon as I did that, I was like, okay, I'm going to... Maybe there's something in this. Maybe I can take this seriously. Let me see what I can do if I start maybe pushing it to lingerie pictures because realistically, that's what people are going to pay for. So I made my first ever Instagram account and within a month, I had a million followers on there. So it really snowballed. I was not expecting it. I had such a low goal for myself. Just uh, I just wanted to move out. Within a month, you had a million followers, did you say? Yeah, on Instagram. On Instagram. As soon as I went sexual. Prior to that, you'd just been posting what kind of pictures? Mainly just outfit photos, fashion things. My demographic was mainly just women Mm -hmm. or young girls like I was at the time. And then when I went to Instagram, it slowly became more men and more men. And now I think it's pretty much 80%, 85% male. Mm -hmm. But how I got the million followers, I think, at the beginning was the Ahigao face, which is from hentai. And hentai is Japanese drawn pornographic material. You can Mm -hmm. see it in a video format or magazine format. And the Ahigao face is basically an orgasm drawing of a woman. And... I always, out of awkwardness, I'd always stick my tongue out in photos and I saw this face and I'm like, oh, I can do that because I can roll my eyes back to the back of my head also. So I just decided to do a video of me doing this strange face Mm -hmm. and it went, uh, I think, mini viral, sort of small viral uh, spread around the internet. And I think it went viral, not because it was a super sexy face and I'm super sexy or anything like that, but I think it was just because it was a very strange face. It is a strange <laughs> face. I'm not. It feels like on every podcast you go on, they ask you to do it. Oh God, I know. I'm and not going to ask you to do it because I feel a bit like, it looks like it might make your eyeballs hurt. I had to record that one video that first blew up many times because it's very hard to nail. Basically, you're just trying to create content that will engage people, right? I really didn't think twice about it. I didn't think anything of it. My plan wasn't to become big or popular or anything like that. I literally just wanted enough money to move out of my mom's place. Mm -hmm. Did it go majorly viral? It felt like a breakout moment. Um, It's super hard to explain the concept of viral because everything's viral in such a different, big way. But for me, it definitely felt like that at the time. Felt like something had changed or at least that you'd had a little moment. Oh, completely. I remember sitting in a Pizza Express in Brighton and uh, looking at my Instagram account and being, because it was only a month. It was so quick and it was still going. I was trying to calibrate how many people that looked like. 
And I was thinking, I was like, oh my God, how many people can fit in the O2? I was trying to visualize it. And I was like, this is super, super bizarre. Right. And then you had five million or five and a half million at a certain point followers. Is that right? On Insta? Yeah. So you had it from, from when you joined, how long did it take to get five and a half million? I think maybe a year and a half. So pretty quick. Yeah. So there... Because we started by talking about the bathwater, right? Mm-hmm. That was 2019? I think so. Or 2020? Oh, God, I'm no, so 2019, bad. No, 2019, I'm pretty sure. Be- okay, yeah. Well, according to my notes. Then it, it you're probably right. It wasn't in lockdown, was it? I think that makes sense because I think pre-lockdown, you know, obviously the virus hit. Oh, yes, it was before because people were like, oh, the bathwater started this. Right, people were joking <laughs> that it started coronavirus. Yeah. Which I guess Which can't be ruled out. I've heard stranger theories. Um, okay, so I'll confess my interest, which is, I think it was I was reading the Guardian newspaper and it was something like, influencer Belle Delphine is selling Gamer Girl bathwater for mm-hmm. $20? I think it was $35. Bottle. $35 a yeah. bottle. And I just thought, well, you know, the internet's a strange place. But it was definitely a moment where for whatever reason, it became quite a big news story. I think it's quite interesting because it's the whole conversation about a girl capitalizing on something very strange. And I think a lot of people found it funny because it, it, there's so many questions that come from it. It's like, oh, is the bathwater real? Mm-hmm. Why did she think of this? Who's buying it? And what are they doing with it? There's so many questions that spawn from it. So it's a whole, it started an interesting uh, conversation. Obviously, the sexual aspects of it also is very uh, clickable. But where I got inspiration from it was I knew that Japan has panty vending machines. And right, I, in Japan. I, so yeah, famously, yeah. yeah, you can buy used undergarments. Is that right? Yes. From a vending machine, because I guess it's more embarrassing if you buy them from a normal human. <laughs> so like easier for a a salary man to buy it anonymously from a vending machine, right? Yeah, so I was kind of thinking of something along those lines, but a lot of sex workers sell panties. I thought that was quite, because uh, I had done that before, there's nothing really more to that, and you can kind of understand that. So I was trying to think of something more unique, so I went down the aspect of uh, selling my own spit or hair, but I didn't want to cut my hair, and it's very hard to produce a lot of spit. Mm-hmm. I have tried to do that. So then I was thinking of something else that's close to my physical body, that I could produce and sell in a cute way that I thought was quite fun to do. And that's where I take a lot of baths anyway. So the idea came about and I, before I even did it, I designed the little bottle all by myself. And then um, I pretty much... More like a jar, was it? Yeah, it was a little jar, but it had a little sticker on the top. A sticker on the top. Yeah. How many did you sell? Oh, I think I only ordered around... 500 or 600 things and it sold out I mean within a day or two days maybe max and then it went really big because of that and I could have made more and sold more but I thought it was funner it being a one-time thing and leaving at it I don't like uh, milking something until it's dry I think that was a a one-off special moment and I think if you manage to buy a bathwater thing you're the only person who's going to have that from now on I don't think I'll do it again How did you first realize it was more of a thing than you expected? I think when someone sent me a message the week after saying, you're on Australian TV. And I think, you know, it's the whole thing, like parents find it very difficult to understand how big their children are on the internet until it hits something like a normal newspaper or written in a magazine or a radio host is talking about it. This morning invited me on. I didn't take it up, but they invited me on and I was like, oh, wow, this is a daytime conversation that normal people are talking about because it's quite bizarre. Because YouTube can be quite isolating to young people just on it, but I feel like... It's a ghetto. You know, if if someone like you Mm -hmm. found out about it, I was like, okay, this is quite big. Why did you not go on this morning? I only, well, I've only ever done content from my own bedroom. So I think being in front of a big camera like that, in front of so many people and something that possibly family members would watch, it was a cool opportunity, but not sure I wanted that, (laughs) wanted to do it. Are you quite a shy person? I say so, yeah. And maybe YouTube feel, and doing it from your bedroom, it feels like you can push the envelope in a way that feels a bit safer. 
comfortable and within my own control. I think control is quite important. So if I don't like something, it doesn't get posted, and especially with something as vulnerable as sexual content. I mean, the old school porn, how they used to shoot it, feels very different and far off to what I do. I think they're different realms. Do you consider you, I mean, we, well, do we want to go there? I guess we should. What you mainly do now is OnlyFans. Yeah. Back then, I would have thought of you as just a kind of undefinable internet personality, right? Exactly. With fetishy elements and comedy elements and, you know, an influencer, a model, a gamer entertainer, someone who's able to intrigue people by putting up random bits of content and monetizing it. And so in a sense, when you go back and say, well, that was adult content or whatever, it doesn't quite fit. It feels like, well, that was a side effect of a bigger plan, which was just to create a space where you were doing all kinds of things that would appeal to people. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I definitely had a strategy feels quite uh, clinical, but um, I definitely had a plan for an end outcome. So I was doing whatever I could do to play around the virility aspect of the internet to push my face forward mm -hmm. so that I could push my Patreon that I was doing at the time and now OnlyFans because I never wanted to be known, a known person or famous. You weren't aiming to be famous. Oh gosh, no. If I could somehow find a way to have a stable future and take that part back than I would, which is why I'm actually really grateful for aging. I think I'm really looking forward to be a 35-year-old, hopefully with more anonymity. I can't say this word, how do you say it? Anonymity. anonymity. Yes, yeah. with that. So that's something that I'm looking forward to. But I was just... It was fun. Oh, don't get me wrong. It was super fun playing around on the internet and seeing people's reactions and stuff. But it was... I was playing a cheeky game. I mean, I'm aware. I don't know if we're really doing justice to it. The sense in which it just felt like you'd kind of gamed the internet, like you'd you'd hacked it. You figured out what was likely to blow up, whether by accident, certainly by design. And I guess you didn't know it was going to blow up as big as it did. But the things you were doing were creating a level of intrigue. I think there's a, a combination of what I was trying to put out there. And I think, say, for example, you're a young guy on the internet and you see a video of this sexy girl. You're not going to show this video of this sexy girl to your friend because that feels quite strange. For example, you wouldn't show or talk about your porn preferences to your best friend. But you might show a video of a hot girl, but she's doing something quite strange, right. something quite... Uh, that you can't quite keep your eyes off of and is quite bizarre. You you might share that to a friend and be like, look what this weird girl is doing. Yeah. But at the same time, I was trying to keep my appearance because that, that is my one thing that I kind of am able to make money off of. So the shareability is in the weirdness and the money is from the appearance. There's the pull quote. Like, I'm not one of those... CEO style podcasts, but I think what you said in terms of um, actually monetizing it, you create intrigue through the weirdness of it, and then actually the real engagement comes through. I think people it, seeing that it applies a lot with people. <laughs> weirdly, and I hate bringing him up, but like Andrew Tate, mm -hmm. his shareability is in his crazy things. But at the end of it, he's got this strange, like, course, manosphere mm -hmm. course that he's trying to sell. So he's basically the uh, alpha male, weird, strange version of me. And oh, God, I hate that I've compared myself to him. But you get what I mean? He's kind of, I think he's tried to grasp on the virility part of horrible things and is trying to sell at the end of it a course from it to make money it's interesting in a way how easy it is to manipulate people right i don't mean it to sound like but in a way like when i see andrew tate he says um women shouldn't be allowed to drive i don't think he said that but he's come close to saying I things like that i don't think he believes that no believes i don't that. think he does and that's my point but you think you are laughing at him but actually he's sort of got your number. Once you've clicked on it, he's pitching to you. Completely. Once you've gained their attention, it's all about retention mm -hmm. at that time. 
I think a lot of YouTubers in particular, when they're thinking of video concepts, they're not thinking about the full video. I think they're thinking about what is a clickable thumbnail and what is a good title. It's exactly the same premise as newspaper journalists. They're not thinking about the full article initially. They're thinking about what is a great title to put in my newspaper. Yeah. And then maybe they'll chase the story once they think of that clickable title. And I think uh, that is a good way to think about if you want to make content mm -hmm. that goes viral, I think thinking about the title and the shareability of that single sentence first. So early on when you were posting content, your model wasn't to get adverts on YouTube. You know, there's a revenue model. It sounds like yours was completely different. It was just guiding people to your Patreon. I think what I was trying to do is that by making content, I was making content for YouTubers to react to. Because there's a whole genre on YouTube of re reaction channels, for example. PewDiePie is one of them. PewDiePie, for the, for the people who don't know, I always think about my mum listening to this. I think she would have become confused quite a long time ago. But um, PewDiePie is the world famous Swedish? Yes. YouTuber. He was the biggest YouTuber in the world and I think probably Mr. Beast has overtaken him. I think so, yeah. So people like PewDiePie who do reaction, so much content on YouTube is reacting to a video from somewhere else, right? Yeah, so it's always kind of difficult to explain who I kind of am on the internet because a lot of the content that made me so big is all like this is splattered on other people's YouTube channels. So it's, there's no way I can really direct people to make people understand because it's just hundreds of different YouTube videos of other people reacting to me doing something strange. I mean, videos that aren't even on the internet anymore that I don't even have yeah. that I used to make of them reacting to that and being like, this is so strange or whatever. So I was basically just farming content for them. And it was beneficial for them because they have a great video and my weird Ahigao face served as a great thumbnail. And then it was great for me because they were just saying my name. And that was amazing because I was trying to sell my explicit stuff for people who thought I might be cute. Because you weren't really, I mean, again, it's hard to reflect on, but you weren't really looking for a profile. You didn't especially love visibility for its own sake. It was very much no. a means to an end. Yes. <laughs> okay, got it. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hi, I'm Louis Theroux, and you're listening to the Louis Theroux Podcast. And now back to my conversation with Belle Delphine. So, they also call you the Queen of the Simps. <laughs> Who came up with that? Oh, I have no idea. I think simp, the, the word, was pretty much born on the internet around the same time. Maybe 2018, I think. Mm -hmm. Simp's basically just a very strong male fan of a woman who maybe has connotations of giving her money or white knighting her a bit on the internet. White knighting, that's another one. <laughs> basically, someone who is seen as weak, isn't it? It's seen as, and, and it's, you could argue that it's, it has a loaded connotation. Someone who does way too much for a person they like, typically a man who does way too much for a woman, right? Uh, yeah, and I suppose some people generalize it as any man who does pay for sexual content could be classified as a simp. Often seen as sort of a synonym with um, beta, cuck. <laughs> I think cuck's terms. slightly different. Cuck's, cuck's what? Cuck what? is more... <laughs> 
we've gone really deep into 4chan now. If we're going to try and explain the internet to everyone who's listening, we're going to die on that hill. Um, a cuck is short for cuckold. It's basically, a, again, a, a guy who's seen as weak and allowing his woman to be... <sighs> I don't know. I even want to explain it. <laughs> I'm going to leave this one up to you. <laughs> Let's just leave that in the air. Do I seem like a simp? Um, quite the opposite. Wow. A chad? Um, wouldn't go that far. Oh. What's halfway between a, a simp and a chad? Normal British man. Okay. Um, simping. Got social media traction in 2019. And then I read this this morning because it came up kind of from rap and hip hop circles and crossed over to the internet community. And it was almost seen as an opposite to a pimp. A pimp is a strong man who's in control of women. And a simp is the opposite, a weak man who's being controlled by a woman. Um, I suppose so. Is it rude to fans to call them simps? Some like it. Uh, some thing is, most of them really are the most normal people. That I was expecting them to be older. They're not. They're really between the ages of twenty-one to twenty-eight. Mm -hmm. And because I speak to them a lot, they're just super normal guys. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are some that maybe game a lot. Maybe some of them have worse social skills maybe somewhere on the spectrum obviously it varies but what i found surprising was just how normal these guys are so what are you basing that on uh, conversations you, with them really yeah do you have in real life conversations with them i used to skype with some of them but now it's mainly just messaging them do you get much hate yeah yeah, I'd say a lot. I think there's different types of hate that I get. I think there's the very expected, you know, this girl's really weird, she's doing this for attention, all of this just goes over my head. And then I think there are a lot of people who, I think everyone on the internet gets hate. Nothing I'm going through is different than anyone else. So, But, you know, some things are more hurtful than others and then other things just fly over my head. So I'm just thinking about, and I may have a skewed perspective because I did a story about the far right as it exists online and the followers of someone called uh, Nicolas Fuentes who came to fame recently, or I should say, greater fame because he was associating with Kanye West. But really, more than anything, what I got from him and his community was an antipathy, a real dislike or resentment of, of women. Mm. And they're constantly going about e-girls and, you know, just basically it was just sort of rampant misogyny. But it was very striking. It was the feeling that, and, and I think it's associated with the incel phenomenon, these sort of so-called involuntary celibates and the idea that women have too much power and women need to be taken down, and women shouldn't be allowed in our communities. Do you recognize any of that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the first time where my address was leaked, it was because there's this whole very, I don't know whether to call it alt-right or whatever what it was, but it was definitely a misogynistic movement, basically, of men that were really angry about anyone who had OnlyFans because they were angry that they weren't paying tax, which is untrue. I definitely was. Um, but they were saying, all of these OnlyFans girls, they don't pay tax. They've got it so easy. And then just basically tearing down any aspect of what we're doing. We're all sluts and things like this. And then one person who was a part of this movement came to my house and started regularly visiting it a day at night, taking photos outside of it. And I only became aware about it because he stuck a, a piece of paper on my door saying, pay your taxes. And my mum found it and she was like, what is this? And I was like, oh my God. And then because of that, I saw the 4chan thread. Of course it's on 4chan, where he was posting all of these photos outside my house. So, um, very scary, very unhinged. Posting photos of your house? Yeah, outside of my house. Really? Yeah. When you were still living with your mum, this was? Yeah. That must have been alarming. Very uh, disturbing. Yeah, it was because uh, you're not quite sure what to do about that. So I went down the usual route, contacted the police, and obviously, what can they do? So they blurred my house on Google Maps, which I feel like does the... Barbara Streisand effect so I feel like right it's like if you want Belle Delphine's house look for the blurred, blurred one. house yeah 
But I moved house pretty soon after that, and so did she, so it wasn't really an issue. But, uh, was it an organised group, or was it just a sort of grassroots collection of 4chaners saying, like, oh, here's, we need to do this thing? It was this strange, relatively small group, I'd say maybe about 100 men or something, and they, it wasn't just me that they were harassing, they were harassing any girls, and they were going... Um, a lot of them, because I'm UK-based, but most of them were American-based, so they were reporting all of these girls as business to the IRS and things like this to try and get the IRS to do investigations on these girls and things like that. But I'm in the UK, and I also do pay my taxes, so I wasn't really bothered about it, apart from, obviously, I didn't like him coming to my house. To what extent is it a concern that because you have this intense virtual relationship with fans that it could become something more troubling or dangerous or dark. This is a big fear I have. So a lot of other sex workers or cosplayers have a lot more experiences than me, the ones who have been doing it longer. And I've spoken to a few of them. And one thing that they do is they never speak about their experience because I feel like it's only a ripple effect. Once mm -hmm. you speak about it, you're more likely to encourage like stalkers or harassment or anything like that. But it is worrying, and especially, for example, there was this one girl called Bianca Devins. She was an e-girl, and she posted similar content to me. I think she was younger, though. and I On Instagram, a, or which was Instagram, that? yeah, but, and she wasn't sexual or anything like that. But Bianca was murdered. Bianca Devins, it was July 2019. She was 17, and she was murdered by Brandon Andrew Clark, who thought he was in a relationship with Bianca. And um, when that came out, it was obviously big news, especially within my community, because she was an e-girl and so many girls were like, you know, shocked by this and just people in general. And then there was a comment on a news article about this. And the top comment was, oh, Belle Delphine should be next. And it had, I think, about a thousand likes on it. And that just, because I was on holiday at the time when all of this happened, and I think it just made me, it was like a kind of a jolt of uncomfortability. Someone commenting that I should be killed next on an article about a real girl who had just been murdered. It just felt a bit more real than any other comment. And I didn't like how many, so many people were liking it, casually agreeing with that statement. Well, I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's quite upsetting. I, I would imagine. <laughs> How did you process that? Like, how did you kind of just... I was just disturbed. I mean, what can I do? I can't take down that comment or reply to them being like, hey, this is not nice. <laughs> what can I do? There's nothing I can do. I think it just hit different because anyone on the internet gets, you know, death threats and things like this, but this is all just standard of the internet. It doesn't mean anything. I think the one things that I've really kept to look out are... Not violent comments like that, more so disturbing comments. Things that are quite bizarre, that don't make sense, and are consistent. So I like to leave all my messages open. So on Instagram and Twitter, my DMs are open. So you, you are free to message me, and I've got my email public as well. So you can message me because I want people to message me because I want to kind of have a grasp on if anyone is obsessed with me in a way that I should be aware of. And that has actually helped me with people who have been obsessed with me. I had to, there was this one guy in the UK who I didn't take it to court or pursue it, anything like that because he had mental health issues. And I didn't think that the court process would help anything like that. So it was just a constant barragement of taking his very erratic, strange, messages and emails and letters and posts and all of these things claiming that he knew who I was and that I was a 30-year-old woman and that we were in love and that he met me many times and that we had this whole relationship and he'd rewrite the same handwritten letter hundreds of times and send me really sad gifts, for example, like Lilo and Stitch merch and Care Bears and things that made me feel really upset because obviously this guy has mental issues and it, it's just really upsetting that he wanted to send me something sweet like that. And I just feel really sad. It makes me feel really sad. I'm not angry at him at all, which is why I like keeping things like this open because I like keeping tabs 
in case I do get a weird guy, like a real bad weird guy one day, you know. Right. Yeah. So what did you do about that? Uh, well, he actually also sent me his birth certificate, his passport, and all of his credit cards, which is when I first contacted the police, because I was like, this guy is not mentally stable, and now he sent me all of his credit cards, his documents, and a receipt from a doctor's appointment or something like this with his psych report. And it was just, I was like, okay, he needs to get all of this back. So uh, that's when I contacted the police about it. But, I mean, what do you do? What do you do about something like that? Well, I think you do what you did, which is notify the police, don't take his money, and then the Lilo and Stitch merchandise is a grey area. Yeah, I've put them all in one big box. I haven't opened any of it because I don't really... It feels quite uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't really want, want this uh, sweet teddy with this weird connotation. So I've kept them all in a box in case anything strange does happen. Mm -hmm. Because with stalker cases, you have to prove repeated behavior. Yeah. So that's something that I've kept in mind in you case... You document it, that's one for sure. Day. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is with online things is a lot of people can believe that they are in love with you. And that is a difficult part on the other side to deal with because at the same time, this is my business. I do want people to be admired by me, I suppose, because that's, I suppose, where I earn my money. But at the same time, I think at the end of it, I don't care about money that much. So if someone is getting to the point of obsession, I have blocked people before. It's tricky because you are, I think you've said, Selling a girlfriend experience, is that the term? Yeah. So you can see how there's a scope for a level of... It's not ambiguity as such, but there's a sort of a consensual fiction that's in place. They know that you're not, hopefully they know you're not their girlfriend, but you're both pretending a little bit. Um, I suppose in a way. I speak to a lot of these people one-to-one, -one, and it's not like anything I'm saying is fake, because... A lot of these people, as I said, are normal people, and I actually do enjoy their conversations. And a lot of them ask me about my hobbies. I ask them about their hobbies. I'm quite open sexually as well, so it's quite fun being openly sexual with them as well. Mm -hmm. I quite enjoy that personally myself. They pay a bit extra for one-to-one. -one. Uh, slightly, yeah. yeah. Your baseline on OnlyFans is $35 a month subscription. Yes. That's right, which is... I only know a little bit about OnlyFans because I saw I did a program a couple of years ago. My recollection is 35 is on the higher end. It is, yeah. But it's working for you. It is. I think one thing that I'm not going to do is I'm not going to falter on the price. I think it is what it is. And I'm very confident in what I produce on there. Um, I think I like being a little bit on the higher end i think it adds to maybe the exclusivity of it mm -hmm. feeling of it and it is expensive though it is a little bit expensive <laughs> i think you probably will not tell me how many subscribers you have it constantly changes does it yeah it does it fluctuates quite a lot month to month it seems like the figure that's commonly given out in terms of revenue sorry it's a bit crass to talk about money it's okay. But nevertheless, it's sort of come up, hasn't it? Is, if I got this right, about a million pounds a month? Does yeah. This, does it sound about right? Yeah. Which is a good living, as they say. And this isn't by, I don't, I'm not trying to, this isn't an expose, and we can choose to gloss over this if you like. Obviously, there's a degree of management that goes on on OnlyFans accounts. It just mm -hmm. wouldn't be realistic for you Notionally, you're available round the clock, mm -hmm. right? Are you able to talk about that? Would you prefer not to go too far into that? No, I'm the... fine. I'm fine. So, quite evidently, if you've got, say, 15,000 OnlyFans subscribers and they're all hoping to get individualized content mm. or daily photos, you are not going to be able to do that. One person, it's physically impossible for one no, person to uh, do that. My messages are way too much for me to message everyone. Well, how, In terms of management help, how does that work in terms of managing the account? So this is the one problem. I can't message everyone. It is just me, but I'm quite picky. So I, I do have like a, a bunch of people that I speak to maybe 50 
different people, maybe a hundred people who are either high tippers or people who are maybe medium range tippers, but I personally like who have been subscribed to me for a while. So I just can't message everyone. It's not something that I think you should expect. That's, from a, me. Lot of, that's a lot for you to... I mean, look, people are going to be listening to this and saying... It's better than working in a factory, Louis. Like, she's making a million a month. Like, why wouldn't she work hard for it? Like, but I do think in terms of your headspace and that level of intimacy spread across so many people, I just think psychologically that's quite complicated. It is quite strange on self-reflection. I think speaking sexual so much of the day, not, not every of my conversation is sexual with people, but a, a lot of them are. And that's okay. So I think it is quite strange being so much in a sexual mind state. And I think that's quite strange to manage internally. Uh, some days I won't. And then some days I'm feeling it. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, it fluctuates, you know. But you said between 50 and 100, right? Yeah. But not daily. Uh, not daily. No, I won't message them every day. But I mean, it's quite, (laughs) I'm a very fast typer. So I can have around 15 conversations all at the same time. And as soon as I've sent one message, I'm going back up to the top and I'm replying to the other person. That sounds, sounds, I'm sorry, that really sounds crazy making. (laughs) That would drive me bonkers. Not that people are queuing up to ask for it from me, but. But you know, all these people, it's like if you're on Facebook and you're messaging like five of your mates at the same time, it's kind of like. And you're saying like, oh, wow you're making me really hot next one oh you're making me you know what i mean like it must get no it's 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 more sexting is different to casual sexual conversations so casual sexual conversations really just go over my head it's like normal conversations to me i wouldn't be able to sex that many people at the same time for sexting things like that is very uh one-on-one got you yeah i didn't mean to confuse sexting with casual sexual conversations (laughs) should we talk a little bit about where you came from i know you grew up in south africa in cape town is that right yeah your dad was a he worked in making adverts and movies and production things like that and your mum had gone over as a as a model is that right yeah that's how they met it sounds like it was complicated it was complicated i think they were very young, and I think they were, looking back now, being the same age as my mother when she had me, I can look back now and reflect upon that and be like, wow. She 23, was, she was that is? I think so, yeah, 23. Yeah, that is young. Yeah, it's very young. So she went over there for work. They met each other there, and they were pressurized to get married because her visa ran out at the same time that she got pregnant with me, only a year into knowing each other. So... Maybe a controversial thing to say, but I don't think my dad was... I think some people aren't meant to be parents, and I think that's okay. And I think I knew that on very early on. I don't How hold... How did res- you know that? There was no aspect of raising children that he seemed to enjoy. My childhood was very much tiptoeing around my dad, and I think that was the main thing that I sort of thought about him was just he's going to shout at me if I do something. And for example, he wouldn't hold my school bag because it was pink and, you know, real silly things like that. There was no interest in anything I was interested in. I was very embarrassed about liking the things that I liked, like um, childish things because I was a child. He would make fun of that. I think I could tell he's got no interest in me. So I think you have no relationship with your dad. Is that right? No, I don't. Any interest in attempting to change that? I did try. So I reached out to him. And this was at the beginning when I bought my first house. So I felt like I was rooted in England. Work was going quite well. How long ago was this? Uh, This was early 2019. You had already bought your first house early 2019? Yeah. With Patreon money? Yeah. Wow. So I try to rekindle something there because I think when you get older, I've always been understanding he he had a very tough upbringing, so I can kind of see why he is the way. And I feel like I have a lot of empathy and sadness for that. So I try to rekindle it, but it did not go well because he didn't 
I knew I couldn't tell him. He was the only person I couldn't tell about what I do because I'm open. Everyone else in my mm -hmm. family knows. I never wanted it to be a secret thing mm -hmm. because everyone always finds out eventually. But he was the one person that I knew wouldn't accept it, and he didn't. And I didn't really know how to how to go on from that because I already tried to get over my own childhood issues that I had with him because it's quite sad never knowing your father and if he dies and not being able to say anything but I think after that I was like there's no way that I'm ever gonna have a normal or even vaguely normal relationship with him he's just tides apart from everything and it would just be negative wow mm -hmm. when was the last time you saw him 2019 you went there or he came over here he came over and he came over to my house met my partner for the first time it all went well and then obviously he saw that i owned a house and was like how has she done this sort of thing like that and obviously i guess googled me straight afterwards and then it was I think it was that evening or the next day, he just went wild, went crazy. and was just so, just the messages he was writing, it was horrible. And But he's always been like that, so it's not something that I wouldn't have not expected. So it's just very in character. I'm not sure what I was expecting. I'm not sure if I was expecting him not to find out, but I guess I was just trying. It was all I could do to... I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's good that you did try. I guess uh, I always would have wondered yeah. if I didn't. He was a drinker, I think. Uh, no, my mum was. Oh. Yeah. Well, they both part were, but my mum was. Was that the part of the toxicity of the relationship? Yes. Yeah. I think because he had bad anger issues and she had a drinking problem, which was got quite bad and I don't think he knew how to deal with it because she was going through her own things. I mean, everyone's just faulted troubled people, I think, mm. with problems like that. And I think when you've got two troubled people trying to look after each other, it's just not going to work. No. So. so you're okay now with not having a relationship with your dad? You feel like that's okay? Yeah. I don't really know what having one's like, so I guess Why? I've never really mourned not having it. It's not like I had a great father and then he passed away and now I really feel that emptiness. I don't feel any emptiness, which is a good thing, I think. I don't have that negative, scared feeling anymore. So, Obviously, it's a big step to put naked pictures of yourself, put sex acts of yourself on the internet. Do you suppose if you're relationship with your parents had been in a better place i'm thinking mainly of your dad mm -hmm. that might have held you back i wouldn't have done it you wouldn't have i already know that if I, <laughs> and it seems so typical like oh you've got daddy's issues or whatever but i really do feel like that is the reason i feel like my father issues have stemmed through a lot of aspects of my life for example when i look for a partner I look for someone who's older and will be a father figure to me in a way. And that goes into a lot of different aspects in my life, sexual, relationship. I think it can't not affect someone growing up. Right. And so in your relationships, it's someone, not a provider, because you're, you're really the provider. Yeah. But someone who, who, what, who feels like they can look after you in some sense. He's like a daddy, yeah. What does that mean, though, like a daddy? Like someone who will look after you, you feel safe around, who takes control over situations, who you can fall back on, who is there to help and provide for you, not monetarily, but in all other aspects where I feel like I'm unable to fill those roles for myself and look after myself in certain ways I struggle with. Mm -hmm. So solid and stable and dependable support, and yeah. and practical and emotionally mature mature and consistent. Mm -hmm. I know you've got a significant other, mm -hmm. a man friend, a boyfriend, partner. Partner. Who's been with you the whole time you've been in the public eye. That's right, isn't yeah. it? He likes to remain in the background, I think. Yes. I think uh, we both think it's probably the best thing. Um, but he comes along in, on all my journeys and it's quite fun. And it's great to have, I need a person supporting me. I wouldn't be able to 
do all this. I mean, there's so much behind the scenes and everything's so complicated. So I kind of need a buddy. And how is your relationship with your mum? It's getting better. It's gotten a lot better. She's okay with the sex work? Yeah. She wasn't at first, which I don't blame her at all. It's not a good thing <laughs> for your child to do. I wouldn't want my children to do it. Well, look, we have to be conscious that there's a lot of people out there listening who may be in sex work and perhaps doing it in a healthy way, right? Well, and you're doing it now, would you say in a healthy way? Yeah, yeah I think so. But I still think it's it's not something that you dream for your children to do. So I understand why she was contentious about it at the beginning. Well, the quote you gave that I've written down is, I don't think sex work should be normalized so much. I don't think it should be such an easy job to get into. Yeah. Do you stand by that? I do, yeah. Why? One thing that I don't think people think about that much is it really, really is true. Whatever you post on the internet stays on the internet. You know that. But I think when it comes into terms of sexual things, for example, I think it's quite uncomfortable and will be quite uncomfortable for when I turn 30 or 35, knowing that there's nude photos of me when I'm 18 on the internet. And maybe when I have my own daughter of myself reflecting when she turns my age, I think, um, it's just quite uncomfortable. I'm not against sex work at all, obviously, but I don't like how easy it now is to get into because it's accessible. You can do it from your house. And I think it is such a personal job. Mm. And for example, there's so many things you don't think about that you can now realize. I mean, I've been lucky, for example, that I've stayed with my partner and I think it will be a long time thing for the rest of my life. But what about if you shoot content with a partner and maybe things go quite sour, where's the line where you shot content with your ex-girlfriend, right? And now you've got a new partner, everything's going great. Do you still keep reselling this video of you and your ex-partner to people because it makes you money? Where is this line? Here's another thing. I haven't personally had this, but other people have where relatives buy your OnlyFans. How do you deal with your uncle purchasing your OnlyFans? You know people for whom that was the case? People have spoken about it, yeah. And it's very normal for old school friends who knew you as a child when they were also a child who subscribed to you. There's just, yeah, there's a lot of weird things that happen. I get the feeling you've got mixed feelings about being involved in this work. Completely. Um it's definitely a fun job. I like doing it. I've always been quite a sexual person, even growing up when I was younger. It's quite fun and exciting. But at the same time, sex has a lot of complexities, more than any other subject, I feel like, because sex can be hot and then it can be strange and then it's uncomfortable. And there's so many different elements to it. And consent is so big in this. And sometimes you consent to putting something out on the internet and you've done that at the time but then looking back on it you wish you might not have done that but now it's you can't take it back uh, you basically you were offered too much money to turn down like the money that was offered in the sense that you were, you became aware that there were tens of millions of pounds on offer mm -hmm. if you were prepared to do this thing yeah and you thought well I'd be crazy not to. I think it's interesting because a lot of people, maybe say you're given a hypothetical and it's like, if you do this one weird thing, you can get this pot of gold and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll do it or no, I won't do it. But I think it really changes this hypothetical question when you're like, if I do this, I know 100% I will get at least this. And that even being a thing really changes the way that you think about what will people do for money? Like, how far will people go? Because I never thought I'd go this far. At the beginning, I only thought I'd do lingerie. And then I said I would only do implied nudity. And then I was like, I'll only do nudity. And then it's I only do solo, can I say that? Masturbation mm -hmm. things. And then just before I knew it, I was like, I know that if I post this, I will be able to buy my house my dream house. And I did it. And now I've got my dream house. That was the full contact, full intercourse? That was when I was at my peak. And I knew that I had the most eyes on me on the internet. And I was right. That was the time I had the most eyes on me. And I was like... We're talking it, late 2020? Yeah. 
when yeah. you had just, you'd done many of your stunts and what was in the background? You were doing your podcasts. You were just, I get what, you were just aware that... That's why I did all those podcasts was because I, I knew I was the biggest I was ever going to be. I needed all eyes on me then to really push this video that I was going to sell. And even though I regret how it came out because I don't think it was that good. thing is, I was... Is it still in, on your OnlyFans? It is, yeah. But I'm very inexperienced in it. I wish I could have changed it, but do I regret it? No. You think the I, production values could have been higher? It was just quite shit, quite awkward. It quite shit? It was quite awkward, yeah. There's one thing posting your first porn video and there's another thing posting your first porn video knowing millions of people are going to see it mm -hmm. and the pressure of that was too much for me and that ended up making a worse video so if i had none of that pressure it would have been better how much money did you make on it around <laughs> around five million really yeah for real yeah you've said i'll do everything and then i'll leave <laughs> right? Yeah. So what does that look like? Have you already got an exit plan? No, I don't. I think at the moment, I'm not doing any stunts on the internet. I found it all consuming. When I was doing that all during 2019, 2020, it was my entire life. It was all that I could think about. I didn't hang out with friends. I didn't see my family. I feel like my relationship was getting quite strained because of how work-orientated and focused I'd become. I was very much on the machine and I was not going to quit until I made the choice to, where I thought, okay, now I'm going to take the break and cash out. So now I don't feel pressured to really try and make a lot of money because I'm in a fortunate position where I've bought my house now. Don't have to stress about that. Is I'm, it huge? It's a, it's a country house. How many you bedrooms? Eight. Ten. How many bathrooms? Seven. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a... But one poor guy doesn't get a bathroom with his bedroom. <laughs> it's a sad story. Very sad. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm in a good place now. I'm just doing what I enjoy. Would you still like to have an internet presence? Like, would you still like to have, even if it's a kind of a more vanilla kind of content would that be fun or that you see no, that as I wish, worse, pointless i wish there was a way to kill me on the internet and just like somehow delete everything or just kind of die in a sense <laughs> and uh just move on i like chapters really yeah i you think just it, like to dis well, be quite disappear nice. would be a nice yeah maybe maybe it. close the chapter but there's no way to do that which is fine well, what you can do is just, as we were saying, disappear. Stop doing anything. Maybe yeah. what you're saying is like, rather than fizzle out and have a kind of lower rated, non-adult content social media account, you'd prefer just to be well, completely I'm not, gone. I'm not interested in the fame aspect of it. So there would be nothing really holding me on at that point. And I think once it's run its course, just leave it. Hi, me again, Louis Theroux. Just to remind you, you're listening to the Louis Theroux podcast. And now, back to my conversation with Belle Delphine. So, I think we're pretty good, you know. Do you feel all right? Yeah, that was awesome. Okay, I'm really glad you say that. I felt like I was trying to translate the internet from someone who just arrived from <laughs> 1756 and was only, you know, just getting their head around movable type and newspapers and there's me going like and a simp is <laughs> and youtube is and only fans is you've got a, a good understanding though thank you very grounded <laughs> being the king of tiktok comes with its perks Okay, so there it was. 
me talking to Belle Delphine. And um, since that was recorded, she's actually disappeared back behind the veil of anonymity that OnlyFans affords her. That is to say, she's still doing stuff on OnlyFans, but on no other platforms. She's not done any other interviews. I found it a fascinating chat and in a weird way, sort of... Well, I've, I've interviewed sex workers on TV, but I think it's a podcast first for me. And I feel like, um, despite my kind of boomer qualities, I think I appreciate what she brings to the table, right? The, the sort of strange artistry that she has infused in her various internet outings. And I mean, whether that's still happening, I suppose in a weird way, maybe I sense some ambivalence on her part about doing the sex work. Well, quite clearly, she says she doesn't really recommend it and it feels conflicted about working in that industry and, and thinks that maybe we put too much as a culture well, it's not that it's not stigmatized. You know, it is probably unfairly stigmatized, but it's also monetized massively. And Belle was completely open and forthright about her feeling that this was something that perhaps needed to have a degree of judgment attached to it, which I wasn't really expecting. It was also sort of an insight, I thought the stuff around Andrew Tate and the idea that she kind of understands his tactics and that a lot of the controversy that attaches to both her and to Andrew Tate is kind of deliberate, that there's a provocation and a trolling in order to intrigue and, and draw eyeballs with a view to then converting those eyeballs into coin. Sorry for that weird image. Uh, regarding stalkers, we'll put some information on where to get help in the show notes. And you can also go to spotify.com slash resources. So good luck to Belle. If you're listening, uh, a big thank you to you. Credits produced by Millie Chu. The assistant producer was Man Al-Yazari. The production manager was Francesca Bassett. And the executive producer is Aaron Fellows. The music in this series is by Miguel de Oliveira. This is a Mindhouse production for Spotify. <laughs>